if I'm constantly trying to change my body, what does that say to my neighbor who, you know, lives next door to me who's the same size as me, right? Does she need to change her body? Hi, Internet. Welcome to episode six of Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning author, a celebrated humorist, and possibly the inventor of the dad bod. In any case, you have found your way to my uh, podcast where I interview people who have changed their minds about big things, important things, life-changing things. And the reason for that is, is that there's some evidence to suggest that people simply don't change their minds. There's a phenomenon in psychology called the backfire effect, where when shown facts that contradict their opinions, people will dig their heels even further and believe their opinions even harder than before. But we all know that people do sometimes change their minds. We've all seen it happen. So this is the show where I try to figure out why people change their minds. Um, on this episode, my guest was Amanda Martinez Beck, who is a writer and an activist out in East Texas. Um, she is a fat person, an overweight person. She told me I was allowed to say fat. She identifies as fat, so I'm going to uh, go with her word. For most of her life, she was what she calls a chronic dieter, starting in kindergarten, always trying to cut carbs, always trying to cut calories. Um, after a lifetime of making very little progress with that, she has given that up and has become a fat acceptance activist. Um, she wrote the book, Lovely, How I Learned to Embrace the Body God Gave Me, which came out last year uh, from a small Catholic press called Our Sunday Visitor, which you should definitely check out. Um, there are things I agree with Amanda about, there are things I disagree with her about, but what I know for sure is that she is an absolutely delightful human being, and I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, I should warn you, maybe, that uh, the talk gets very Jesus-y. <laughs> she is uh, a Catholic and a very devout Catholic, um, which I appreciate, but I know not all my listeners are Christians. Um, so non-Christian listeners, I love you. I'm glad you're here. I hope you listen to the episode. Um, if you can't stomach it, <laughs> I hope you come back for the next episode because I've got some good, really good guests lined up for the episodes in the future. So without further ado, I am going to go ahead and kick you over to my talk with Amanda. I'll see you on the flip side. Welcome to episode six of Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and I'm sitting here with Amanda Martinez-Beck. Say hi, Amanda. What's up? Amanda is an author and a fat acceptance activist out in Texas. What part of Texas? I live in Longview, which is East Texas, um, so close to the Louisiana border that I thought... Shreveport was in Texas when I was a kid because we watched their news. 
And she is the author of Lovely, um, which is a book out from InterVarsity Press that you should definitely buy. Um, I'm going to interject here. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, it's called Lovely, but it's from Our Sunday Visitor. Oh, I thought I thought you were with IVP. I wish. Oh, One day. Yeah. Okay, I swear you said when you signed the, the contract that you were like, I just signed with IVP. Am I thinking of someone else? Like everybody we hang out with is with IVP, so. <laughs> yeah, we're the, we're the odd people out. Well, I'm the odd person out, so. Well, I mean, I have one book out and it's from a mom and pop horror imprint, so. Just to recap, for anyone who hasn't listened to the show, the premise of the show is just what the title says. I talk to people who have changed their minds about important things and sometimes less important things and sometimes more important things. Um, the reason for this is because a lot of people seem skeptical uh, right now that anyone changes their mind about anything. Um, but some people do, and I think we've all seen it happen, and I want to know why. Um, so this is my podcast. This is about 19% research project and 81% therapy for me. Um, so <laughs> let's get into it. Um, let's... Um, Talk about what you changed your mind about. Um, you can probably say it better than I can, but uh, what I <laughs> what I got from you is you went from being kind of a fitness nut to a, a body acceptance activist. Is that an accurate <laughs> summary? It's close. <clears throat> it's close. I would say chronic dieter to body acceptance. So I never liked fitness, but I felt like I had to do it. So what, what I would say I changed my mind about is the purpose of the human body um, from the purpose being perfection to the purpose being relationship. And that affected how I saw exercise and food and uh, the size of bodies. When I was a chronic dieter. My focus was on proving myself, um, making myself stronger and smaller. And when I changed my mind, I learned to let, to let the weakness in my body tether me to Jesus and to other people in relationship. So that's kind of the, the nugget of change. Yeah. I mean, why don't, why don't we start at the, at the beginning? Um, I know you, you identify as fat. Am I allowed to use the word fat or is that... You are. Thank you for asking, but yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm I'm technically overweight myself, so, you know. Um, so have you kind of always been fat or? I, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I was always bigger than everyone else. But looking back, I was just a normal kid. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and through grade school and junior high and high school, my body changed just like bodies tend to do, but I had a very negative self-perception mm -hmm. and everything in my life was oriented towards, um, controlling my body input from my guardians and physicians and, um, was, you know, even though you don't have any health problems, you're on a trajectory to have health problems if you continue to gain weight. So, um, in the fat acceptance world, there are categories of fat, small fat, which is someone who wears plus size clothing, but you can still find in mainstream stores, usually sizes like 14, 16 to 20. Um, that's in women's sizing. 
And then there's mid fat, which is like a between a size 20 and a 24. And then um, super fat, which would be like size 26 to 30 or beyond. And then there's also infinifat, which is like <laughs> above 30. <laughs> I know it's humorous. Um, naming is one of those fun things we get to do. Um, but it's helpful because while a lot of our, what our culture says is fat is actually just not, <laughs> not fat to the point of having like structural inequity that oppresses you. So sure. that's why we have the distinctions. Sure. Um, and I'm just going off the top of my head here. So I don't know if this is hundred percent accurate or not, but I have read that, that BMI body mass index was originally conceived as something to measure the overweightness of like a general population and was never intended to be applied to the human body. So, right. So uh, I will challenge your use of the word overweight, which is part of what I do in my <laughs> activism is that implies that there is a, a right weight, right? Right. And, and doesn't take into account biodiversity. Sure. <laughs> um, bodies are, even if, you know, two people eat the same thing, exercise the same way, their bodies are going to look different. So BMI was originally an anthropological tool that was used to compare people groups, right? Because right. there's no, there's nothing fancy about it. It's a ratio of height and weight. So, you know, people group over here, people group A, they're very tall and very slender. So their BMI is whatever. And people group B, they're tall, but they're bigger. So it was a way of comparing societies, not for individual measurement. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, um, this is a total rabbit trail, but it's kind of like IQ tests were originally conceived just to measure the progress of like literally kindergartners in France. Mm. And then somebody latched onto it and was like, hey, we're all going to test to see how smart we are, like, like intelligence <laughs> is something you can objectively measure and put a single right. numerical figure on. It's just, it's a little bit, it's weird how people latch onto things and they catch on like that. Um, but we are getting uh, ahead of ourselves a little bit. Um, when did you start dieting? Well, we've talked about this in therapy, so I can say pretty confidently, I don't remember a time in my life where I was not dieting. Oh, wow. Definitely, we were talking about the size of my body and my food choices in kindergarten and first grade. Wow. Um, and Like with your parents? Um, or... mm -hmm. So my parents love me very much, mm -hmm. and they were trying to point me in the way they thought was the best for me. And so I have forgiven them for all the peripheral unintended consequences of the, the things that happened when I was a kid, um, with specifically diet and weight loss, but we made regular trips to the dietitian in Dallas at children's hospital to talk about my food choices. And it wasn't an issue of knowledge. So I remember being in the nutritionist's office in Dallas and, you know, you have to weigh yourself. And then they talk about portion control and there was like a plastic pile of french fries that was about the size of your fist and then there was a much bigger size that was like how much would they would put in a large mm. french fry order mm. and my parents had never directly told me about french fries portion sizes but i wasn't dumb so when the the nutritionist was like now which size of french fries do you think is a serving size mm -hmm. like i'm not going to choose the huge pile even though 
duh, that's what anybody would want to eat because who stops at a fistful, like this size of French fries? Especially that was back in the day when they still used beef tallow to fry the French fries at McDonald's. <laughs> so <laughs> um, anyway, I, it was never a knowledge problem. Very intelligent. <laughs> and um, the assumption is that people who are fat or quote overweight don't understand what they're doing. And that's part of the infantilization of fat people. Mm-hmm. It's assumed that you just don't get it or that they're lazy and don't have self-control. So mm-hmm. dealing with that stereotype was rough, but also I was put into gymnastics and um, softball, like trying to encourage activity, but it was never really about what I wanted to do. When I was in gymnastics, yeah, it was fun, but it wasn't easy for me to do the other things the kids were doing because they were all like, they weighed as much as feathers. Mm -hmm. So they could like flip around a bar and it just created this comparison that um, I think is, is um, we're very susceptible to. That's probably why we like IQ tests. We want to know where we stand among our peers and body sizes is one of those really easy ways to categorize people and to, to be convinced of, being better than them. Okay. I've said this before. I don't like this question. Like I don't agree with the premise of this question, but I do ask it to people. Um, (laughs) You you think your reasons for being a chronic dieter, do you you think they were primarily emotional or was it, was it more of a, more of a logical thing? Well, I know you don't give much credence to Myers-Briggs, but it does apply here. Um, My, Dad is a physician and he has a very good, quick brain for logic. And so even though my natural personality was very feeling and relationship oriented, I was trained that that was inferior to logic. And so everything we talked about my body was always logical. Um, However, that has an emotional effect on a person. And so... I internalized the logic of, you know, eat fewer calories, lose weight, be healthier to you need to change yourself to be loved and you need to be smaller, not just in body, but in personality. And Luke, we don't know each other very well just through the internet, but I'm, I do not have a small personality. (laughs) I I don't know if you've ever gotten that. (laughs) But, and so it played into this just shame about who I was. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely presented as logical, but underneath that logic, there's no way around it being emotional. Also, um, you know, forcing your child to lose weight says a lot about your emotional growth as well. So um, love you, mom and dad. We need to question those logics, those uh, assumptions about health and thinness. So. And they they agree now, so I'm thankful for that. Hmm. This one's an unpleasant question, um, but I you know I, I am pretty interested in um, you know the this idea that a lot of what we believe we believe it mainly for selfish reasons, um, like mm-hmm. it you know it justifies what we already want to do or it <laughs> makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't know if this really applies. Oh yeah, to the weight loss thing does it? Okay, well let's oh, yeah. talk about that then. <laughs> okay, so. Part of question the question before, why do you believe, why did you believe what you believed? The assumptions that are baked into culture about bodies mm. are that 
thinner is better, thinner is healthier, healthier is better. So there's this morality that it's like swirls around body size and sure. food choice. And we swim in it. <laughs> there's really, uh-huh. it's really hard to, um, to recognize it when that's all that you've ever known to recognize mm-hmm. it as not, um, a given. So I believed that the size and health of my body were completely in my control and that's mm-hmm. comforting, right? Mm-hmm. To believe that if I change what I do, I can change who I am, mm-hmm. um, physically. So my big size and any illnesses that could be size related were therefore my fault. Mm-hmm. Now that's a really unhelpful way to think about, um, the worth of your body or the the consequences of like illness, mm-hmm. but that's where mm-hmm. I was, but it's control. It's still control. Mm-hmm. So I think holding on to that belief is something a lot of people have a problem with, but I had a problem with it because if I say that, you know, I don't have that much control, what does that mean about like, how can I compare myself to others who are fatter or skinnier than me? Mm-hmm. There's, there is a social hierarchy based on body size. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are thin, you are given more benefit of the doubt. But also if you're fat and working on it, you are given cultural currency, right? So you get thin bucks if you're actually thin, but you also get thin bucks if you're fat and trying to be thin. What, um, and so that's where I lived. Like, yes, I know my body's bigger than most, you know, healthy people around me, but I'm really trying, like I'm on this new diet. I'm doing Atkins, I'm doing Weight Watchers, I'm, you know, going to the gym and people are giving me thumbs up when I'm on the treadmill. And like, <laughs> um, there yeah. is a, a positive reinforcement in our culture towards either being thin or trying to be thin. Yeah, well, and, and in American culture, we do have this tendency to think of people as like infinitely elastic, like you are what mm-hmm. you make yourself. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that's, <laughs> I mean, it's not true of our bodies and it's not true of our minds, you know, yeah. like I can, you know, I can potentially make myself a little bit smarter. I can do more Sudoku or read more books or something, but it's it's not an infinite range. Um you know, and the same, the same is, is, uh, true, true of, of, of bodies. I, you know, I, I can make myself a little bit more fit or, you know, even a lot more fit, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm never going to look like Brad Pitt no matter what I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, unless, unless you subject yourself to like steroids plus like surgery. Plastic surgery. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a not a healthy way to think about people. I agree with that. So, um, yeah, why don't you tell tell me about when you uh, first questioned your your original views on this? Okay, well, I can remember three three distinct or four distinct things that played into changing my mind. First, like I said before, I'm a good Catholic, so I have a lot of kids, <laughs> and um, I was I had just given birth to my my third child, my daughter, Lucy, um, in 2015. And, um, I was at full capacity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was a stay at home mom taking care of the house, trying to take care of the kids with postpartum depression and the pressure to quote, eat healthy and exercise 
was just too much for me. And so mm. I gave myself the grace to just make it through the day. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was eating a lot of bread, <laughs> which my OBGYN had said you need that I needed to avoid. Mm-hmm. Every time I went into his office, have you considered giving up bread? So, <laughs> um, which I really think is anti-biblical. Seriously, oh, sure. Jesus is the bread. Of, Jesus is the bread of life. So, it's like um, giving up wine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's all sorts of like classist economical economic things behind that of like what's cheap bread. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. We were, um, my husband is a professor at a small Christian college in East Texas, and it's a wonderful place to work, but Christian academia doesn't pay well. So, Mm -hmm. or or didn't, and this was at the very beginning of his teaching tenure. So um, we were just making it. So I didn't, like, I couldn't devote myself to making my body look different. Mm -hmm. Um, My time was completely taken up by taking care of my kids and my house. And I noticed that if I didn't eat bread, like, right, if I tried to restrict bread, it led to binging bread. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to make it <laughs> and give myself grace to make it. And mm-hmm. then I came across, there's a cartoonist um, named Stacy Bias. Um, I'm not sure if that's her given name, but that's what she goes by online. And she has a cartoon called 12 Good Fatty Archetypes. And so there are 12 (laughs) different kinds of good fatties, right? So, for example, the exceptional fatty, the fatty who runs marathons, and you're just in awe of how well they are human, even though they're fat, Mm -hmm. right? Then there's the fat shinista who just dresses perfectly all the time and... um looks super cute, even though she's fat. So you're in awe of her Um, or the fat person who's the work in progress or the fat person who's dead early because our culture has this archetypal um, person we refer to as like the dead early fatty. Like you do this, you're going to be the dead early fatty. That's that fulfills your role. It's a fascinating cartoon. I'll send you the link. Sure. Um, But there's like the, the manly fatty, um, and there's the caregiver fatty and it like all, all of these roles that I had at some point felt not manly, but like the curvy, <laughs> fat, like the real woman fatty, mm-hmm. like to live into that so that I could find a place where I could marginally be accepted. The idea of just being me <laughs> who is fat was so, uh, repellent to me, like mm-hmm. repugnant. I was like, no way. I've got to be changing myself or being excellent in some way to be accepted. Hmm. Um, Because, and I've talked to a lot of other fat people about this. Whenever we go out of our homes, we are aware that there is a negative stereotype of fat people that we do not want to be ammunition for. Mm -hmm. So that means if we go to um, a restaurant, do I, I really want a burger, but, if I order a burger, someone's going to say something and I'm reinforcing mm. the, the quote gluttonous fatty. So I'm going to mm. get a salad, even though I don't really want a salad. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if I get a salad, am I, you know, am I fulfilling that good fatty role? And so someone's going to be like, way to go you. And I'm like, I don't know you stop commenting on my food. <laughs> um, I just felt like eating grass. Okay. So, um, you know, 
I love salad, by the way. But even the, the thing that I feel like I need to defend myself is part of that. Mm. Um, learning that I could just be myself and not fulfill a negative fatty stereotype or fulfill one and just not care. That was a big deal. And then the biggest thing that I came across was a verse in Colossians, which is chapter two. I'm going to pull it up on my phone. And this is from the RSV Catholic edition. So if you need to go check that this is actually in the word of God to all you Protestants, (laughs) you were released. Okay. Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. And I'm going to read this if you will indulge me in this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things which all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and doctrines, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. End quote. (laughs) And I'm reading that scripture and I'm like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That sounds like going to my OB and him telling me not to eat bread Mm -hmm. and, you know, or the paleo diet, don't eat grain or, um, you know, whatever cool thing we're giving up this week, according to human precepts and doctrines, they have an appearance of wisdom, right? We're trying to be self-controlled and take care of our body. And there are even things that we call diet devotionals, right? That have this rooted, like weight loss rooted in the scripture, um, where you're focusing on like the verses about self-control and your body is a temple. So they have this, this idea of promoting rigor of devotion by mm-hmm. um, crucifying the flesh. But the, Paul says they are of no value mm. in checking the indulgence of the flesh. And so I'm I'm confronted with this scripture and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know how to parse this verse. So of course I'm going to take my question to Twitter. So <laughs> I went to Twitter. I mean, what and better I, place would you go for, for moral instruction than Twitter? Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I sent out my tweet and my question just said, if, if the changing the way we treat our body right with food and exercise is of no value to taming the flesh, what is? Hmm. And um, a woman who was my friend at the time, but we had just been developing a friendship. She was a fellow fat woman, Nicole Morgan. She responded and said, I think it's loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. That's what's that tames the indulgence of the flesh. So I don't know if you can hear the mic drop from Texas and Wisconsin, <laughs> but that was a huge moment for me hmm. that I could look at my body through the lens of the first and second commandments. Am I loving hmm. God? And am I loving my neighbor as myself? And that be the way that I could tell if I was actually taking care of the things that God called me to. And that's not, I wasn't under the impression that I was just going to like eat 
corn dogs from Sonic during happy hour every day, even though they're amazing and only 99 cents. Um, but it, it was that I wasn't going to spend the time obsessing over changing my body because that was taking up so much mental and emotional energy that I couldn't be fully present for my family, right? Which is mm -hmm. important because my children can't wipe their own butts. And then <laughs> and that's actually unacceptable to walk around without that having been done. And then to love my neighbor. Like mm -hmm. if I'm constantly trying to change my body, what does that say to my neighbor who you know, lives next door to me, who's the same size as me, right? Does she need to change sure. her body? Or my, the people in my life who walked with disability, who walk currently, if I was so concerned about changing my body, even though I could walk and, um, you know, take care of my kids' bathrooming needs and fix meals that were bread heavy and yet delicious, or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just changed the way that I saw my life and I didn't mm -hmm. have to order my life based on being healthy and perfect in my body. Mm -hmm. I could change my life and orient it to, to loving God, spending time with God and in the word and through the church and the sacraments and then encountering the people I met and letting my weakness just be there, right? Mm -hmm. Be out and about. <laughs> um, a lot of people have weakness that you can't see, but how do I say this? I'm not saying that being fat is a weakness, but I definitely perceived it as a weakness then mm -hmm. in that, that part of my journey. So instead of trying to buy clothes that hid my belly, um, or yeah, I've never had a problem with my arms. I, I like my arms, but a lot of fat <laughs> people are embarrassed of their arms. Like they won't wear sleeveless mm -hmm. shirts. Mm -hmm. Um, am I going to hide those parts of me? Or am I just going to love people? Like I have really significantly knocked knees. Now mm. that's not my fault, right? <laughs> You're born that way. Yeah, but I sure. thought it was my fault because I had been told mm. that if I exercised and lost weight, that my knees, would, my legs would straighten. Mm. So, oh my gosh, the bull crap. I don't know if we can curse on your podcast, but the, the stuff that fat people are told to, to do so so dumb yeah. um like exercise and you'll change your legs from knock knock knees to not knock knees so mm -hmm. um so that's my how i started to change my mind oh my gosh i don't have to change to love people or to mm -hmm. love god i'm curious because this is a little bit of a rabbit trail so <laughs> we'll, see if, it, we'll see if it yeah okay. okay all right we'll see if it yields anything interesting and i'll edit it out if not um but <laughs> Because your your reasons for um, embracing your body, if you will, or giving up dieting or whatever, were so religious. I'm just curious um, how fasting for religious purposes fits into that. Good um, question. I mean, do you do you do you fast for religious purposes? I'm just curious because um, I so in the last few months I personally have started just kind of fasting every Wednesday and Friday, um, just because I came to the you know, the conviction that that's, you know, what the Christian church historically has done, um, reading the D to K and all that. Um, so I'm just, you know, and I, I actually, I found, I feel a lot better, um, <laughs> when, you know, if I take a couple of days to fast. Um, so I'm just curious what you have to say about that. Yep. So have you read Isaiah 58? 
Testing your uh, biblical literacy knowledge. I, I mean, I've, I've read the whole Bible cover to cover a couple of times, but I don't remember what Isaiah 58 says now. <laughs> okay, so let's... I don't want to misquote it because I'm Catholic here, so there's not a lot of grace for me. <laughs> BibleGateway.com. And I'll even do it in the lovely NIV. Everyone can, <laughs> can Even if it's not like ideal. This is verse three. God is uh, talking to the Israelites. He says, why have we fasted? They say, and have you, you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. Verse five, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And then he transitions to what he says, what God says is a fast that pleases him. Verse six, mm. is not this kind of this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them? and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing quickly appear. So I agree that fasting has been a big part of Christian historical practice. I'm Catholic, as if you didn't get those notifications already three times in the podcast. <laughs> um, so there are two, two things I want to say here. One is what is the kind of fasting that God is actually asking for? Is it, is it fasting that contributes to diet culture? By that, I mean being thinner. Because I don't know about you, but every time I fasted, even if I started with good intentions, it turned into, oh my gosh, I think I'm losing weight. Um, maybe I should do this every day. Not just like every so, so many days, not just for my spiritual life, but for my physical health too. And it becoming not about feeding the poor and breaking the chains of injustice, but about conforming myself to the image of the world. I know people who have fasted successfully um, in a way that I think has kept their eyes on Jesus. But for me and my peers, I went to a church in college that was all about fasting. I didn't become a Catholic until I was in, later in life. That sounds like I'm about to die. I didn't become a Catholic until I had a couple kids. So um, we fasted a lot. I would say if you're going to fast, you better have a spiritual director in your life mm. that you're talking to about it. Um, mm. I have an eating disorder and therefore it is dangerous for me to consider fasting from food. And it took me a long time to realize that um, because in the Catholic church, we have mm. ordered fasts. Like every Friday, we're supposed to abstain from meat, especially during Lent. And like on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, those are fasting days. And the definition for fasting in Catholic Church is a little different. We eat um, one small meal and then two smaller meals that don't add up to 
the small meal and no meat. Like, yes, there are a lot of rules. Um, but one of the, the most powerful things that I've been able to share with other people is, hey, if you have a history of an eating disorder, mm-hmm. that's a medical exception to fasting. So fasting does not loose the chains of injustice for me. It actually tightens those chains. Mm. So I think being mindful of of how your relationship with food is affected by the concept of fasting is really important. Another corollary is what is gluttony? Mm-hmm. Okay, because a lot of people say we fast so that we can loosen the control of gluttony or we're addicted to sugar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Number one, you can't be addicted to sugar. Your body, literally every cell in your body needs sugar to function. Okay, so addiction is when something co-ops the natural use of your your neuro your neurons to addict you to something that your body does not need. I think the distinction people are trying to draw there, if I can push against that for a second, though, is sure. that um, you know it's a question of refined sugar versus sugar that naturally occurs in foods that also have a lot of complex carbohydrates and fiber. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, we can go with this all day. <laughs> but I'm body- sorry. I have to push against my guests, you know, cause I gotta, I gotta good. interrogate their ideas a little bit, but yeah. Um, I, I'm not a scientist, Okay. but I am in nutrition therapy. Okay. Um, and so our our cells process the sugar the same. Um, but isn't, that isn't it a back. question of what your what your liver can process, like how much sugar your liver can process at a time? I mean, isn't that, that like, I'm, I'm not a nutritionist either, but isn't that what people are talking about when they talk about glycemic index? Um, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think this is where I'm going to say I have a website with a lot of research-based articles on that that I can share. Um, A lot of the food, quote, science that is talked about is just a sham. So, Well, sure. um, (laughs) I don't think that's in question. um, Yeah. Um, What I'll say here is that there's something called intuitive eating. And the principles of intuitive eating have to do with listening to your body and what your body is saying. And the idea that underlies it is that our bodies were created or evolved to, or a combination of those (laughs) which is where I personally stand, but don't tell my parents, um, (laughs) to know. Are your your parents still evangelical? I assume. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. My dad is a huge creation science guy. Oh wow. Um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we can talk about that on a different episode. If you want to have me back to talk about my conversion from creation science to, Christian evolutionary theory, whatever. Believe it or not, you are the fourth person to offer to come on the show to talk about that. (laughs) The Lord. Apparently a lot of people really want to talk about that. (laughs) To be honest, like I, I have full sympathy with that view. Like I definitely lean towards like to the extent that I care, I lean towards theistic evolution or whatever. But I'm a, I'm a little more interested in talking to someone who's gone the opposite direction. Like, you know, someone who used to believe in evolution and now is a young earth creationist. I think that would be a more interesting I mean, conversation. I mean, that's my dad. So <laughs> I don't it? know that I want you to interview him, but <laughs> he did that. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I, we got I way off not, track there. Yeah, I do not think that creation science is a, is a fraud. I think it's a way of observing data 
in a narrative. And that's right. Like that's kind of where I'm also coming from with the food science issues. Um, medical bias against fat people and exists a lot because data is interpreted in a similar, in a specific way that is fat phobic mm-hmm. as opposed to, so when like correlation and instead of causation, like focused on correlation mm-hmm. rather than causation. And so for example, I carry my weight in my gut. So my belly is very big. Mm-hmm. Um, if you only saw like my face or you just saw my parts of my body, not my belly, you'd be like, why does she consider herself fat? Right. She's just mm-hmm. normal. Um, but I have a condition, polycystic ovarian syndrome, that one of the symptoms is carries weight in the trunk. So here's the question. Mm. Did being fat cause the PCOS or did be, having PCOS cause the fat? Um, mm. And we're just kind of, we don't know. There's so much we don't know mm-hmm. about how the body processes food and stores fat and um, how hormones play into that. And so... Um, the science is now showing that it's probably PCOS comes first and then the way that your body is affected by that. So, so we've talked a little bit about your reasons for questioning your, uh, let's say chronic dieting habit. Um, would you categorize them as more logical or more emotional? So I would say that it is both like the little girl holding up a taco and a meme. So yes, it is logical because to have a framework for my life rooted in the two most important things in the universe, loving God and loving my neighbor as myself, that as a Christian is deeply logical. Why would I not orient myself like every aspect of my life around that? Um, And the key there is as myself, right? That if I don't love my body, if I don't accept my body and and be okay with its weakness, can I do that for my neighbor? Mm -hmm. And also, can I do that for Jesus on the cross? Like he, Mm -hmm. the the cross is a completed event. And yet Jesus makes himself vulnerable to us over and over again, um, bearing bearing his Mm -hmm. vulnerability, um, willing for us to be, not Mm. faithful. Um, and that is, that is him being weak. And so if I'm not okay with weakness Mm -hmm. in myself, can I be okay with it in Jesus and my neighbor? So that's logical to me. And the catechism of the Catholic Mm -hmm. church is also very logical. And in paragraph 364, it says that we are obliged to regard our bodies as good. So when I'm speaking with other Catholics, Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, boom, you can't argue with me anymore. Your body's good. With with non-Catholics, I have to go a little deeper or take a different route. Hmm. So it's very logical to me. Um, so what's the, what's the usual route you take there then? I'm just um, curious. That's a good question. So what is the first instance of body shame in the scripture, Luke? That would be Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve realize they're naked. Am I right? Do I get a cookie? You do get a cookie. (laughs) I'll mail it to you. It'll be stale. Sweet. So body shame is a result of the fall and our bodies are good. And Mm -hmm. the fall doesn't mean our bodies are now corrupted in the way that they are distasteful or disdainful, right? Right. Hmm. Um, they are still 
we are still image bearers. And that's a good mm-hmm. thing. And Jesus and Paul, Paul, I'm not a huge Paul fan. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that out loud, but um, <laughs> um, Paul does say that, like he says that Jesus tells him that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so hmm. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to be weak. So that's very logical. But the realization that I that I don't have to prove my body to be perfect or make it perfect, that I can rest in the freedom of relationship with God and with others, mm-hmm. that is an amazing emotional feeling. And mm-hmm. so the two, the two fuel each other. And I think... I think that's how God made it to be. I think that's when we when we discover truth, it it has aspects of logic and emotion to it because mm. God is logical and emotional at the same time, and there's no conflict there. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question: Would you would you say there were selfish reasons for questioning this? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, ditching diet culture it goes against everything that our culture says about bodies. Mm -hmm. It's way easier for a fat person to be a good and compliant fatty for at least for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, Weight bias in medicine means you don't question medical culture status quo and the worship of health. That's Mm -hmm. a way easier way to live if you don't like confrontation. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I do like confrontation. So (laughs) um, I... (laughs) When I started to peel back the layers of what I had believed erroneously about bodies, I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to start telling people the truth now. So, and it's never easy. I have to eat a bunch of bread. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and tell other people too, also. And like diet, the diet industry makes $68 billion a year. Mm -hmm. And so, they're definitely not going to sell you on the fact that your body's okay and you don't have to change it. Um, and so trying to not be too heady, but Plato's analogy of the cave. Are you familiar with it? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So people like to stay and watch the shadows on the wall hmm. because it's way easier than working those muscles. Hmm. Like they tried it already. They broke free one time. They just want to go back and sit and watch the shadows. Hmm. Um, and I've many days. <laughs> I think, why? Why am I a truth teller? Like, <laughs> it would be easier if I just didn't care so much. Hmm. But um, I do care. So, how did it feel to question your original beliefs? What did that feel like? It was scary and simultaneously invigorating. I am a conflict-driven personality, and I don't mean that I like, well, maybe I do, look for things to <laughs> be contrary against. Um, I, don't, I don't look for things, but I'm, when I do encounter something I know is not true, I enjoy the takedown process. And I don't mm-hmm. mean like I want to humili- humiliate people, but I'm a teacher. I want to like break sure. it down, look at it from every angle, and be like, this is inconsistent this contradicts this over here. Um, and so reading and writing and, and speaking about fat acceptance, um, which is basically just body justice. Hey, you don't need to change your body at all to be loved because Mm -hmm. you bear dignity as a Christian. I say you reflect the image of God. Um, Mm -hmm. but even if someone's coming at it from non-Christian perspective, Hey, 
every human being has inherent dignity. You can't treat them like crap. Mm. So um, I, yeah, pushing it back against power has been threatening. Mm. <laughs> Feel, feels threat. I feel threatened. Um, people tell me that I should go die all the time. Oh, wow. Um, but that's fun. And that, yeah, you know. <laughs> It's like a memento mori. I just carry around my Instagram account in my pocket when I feel like remembering. I love it. Last week I got a message that on Twitter that said, but what if you die? And I was like, what if you die? Like, We're, we're all, all going die. to die. <laughs> so, um, but, but the more violent messages that I encounter, um, those can be feel threatening, but, um, for the most part, I can just push aside the haters and, uh, <laughs> and embrace the people that like me. So, yeah, I, um, being a white male of average body type, I have not experienced the threatening messages online thing that a lot of other people seem to get. <laughs> so I can only relate to that theoretically. I, you know, it's not something I deal with. Um, but I think you do care about it. I do, and I don't yeah. think you question that people are making that up. Yeah. And I appreciate that about you. <laughs> well, I know you and I know Way you don't to go, make stuff get up. another cookie. You get another cookie. Yeah. Count cookie count is two. <laughs> it's it is it is weird though to to know that, you know, certain people just live in an entirely different universe than I do. They just have an entirely different experience of mm-hmm how the world works and how people treat other people. And that's, I don't know. It's wild. It's, it's um, something everybody should think about. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the next question here is uh, the one about coming out stories. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously you've been very public with your change of mind <laughs> and your, your new belief. Um, but what's your, what's your coming out story? When did you officially pull the trigger and tell people, Hey, being fat is okay. I do have a coming out story and it's fun to tell um, just cause I like talking about myself. So, you know, <laughs> um, I wrote a blog post. I sat down to write a blog post this is in um, June of 2016, and I didn't know what I was going to write. I was just trying to get more into the habit of writing regularly, and mm. so I was posting one blog a week. And the first thing that popped into my brain was this interaction with a doctor where the doctor called me fat. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I'll write about that. The post ended up being called to all the fat girls. I talked about the shame of being called fat. Um, I didn't embrace it at the time as mm-hmm. a as a neutral descriptor of my body, mm-hmm. but it also wasn't used that way <laughs> to mm. my body. Sure. Um, so that doctor had a position of power over me and and was shaming me for who I was, and my body was, and it it was hard. I felt like I was being called a slut. Mm-hmm. I've n- never in my life have I knowingly been called a slut because I'm very um, goody goody <laughs> probably the best way to put it very prudent no I was a prude and like didn't have my first kiss to college and only dated three guys third one being now my husband and so being called a, being called a slut was not something I could personally relate to but I felt like the shame around that word was similar to the shame around being called fat in this blog post I shared about the story of St. Lawrence who was a deacon in the early church in Rome. And there were seven deacons. Well, the Roman government 
decided to crack down on Christians and Christianity. And so they killed the Pope and they killed the other six deacons. And they said to Lawrence, go out, you have three days, or go out and collect the treasures of the church and bring them to us and then we'll kill you too. And so he asked for three days and they said, okay. So he went and he gave away all of the wealth of the church to the poor. And then he gathered up the people who were sick and lame and crippled and, and that had weakness. And he brought them to the Roman prefect and he said, here are the treasures of the church. And in, as a result, they grilled him on a, on a griddle. Um, so, you know, he was a little bit of a punk, but I mean, when he, and he told them halfway through, flip me over, I'm done on this side. So, um, I hope that my life emulates St. Lawrence that I can tell jokes while I'm being martyred. But, um, but on a serious note, the treasures of the church are the weak ones that changed me how I'm going to cry about it now. Like how opposite is that of the culture that we live in, even in the Christian culture that we live in, right? This, this is what people were saying in the book of Acts that these apostles have turned the world upside down. Like that is the upside down kingdom of God. And so my blog post just talked about no matter what weakness you're facing, whether it's being fat or, suffering from anxiety and depression or whatever it is, you're the treasure of the church. And so I came out as fat and it was really well received. Um, at that point, like 26 people were reading my blog. And I think there was, were kind of some sympathy clicks. Um, thanks mom. But it got, it got read over 800 times the first day, 800 times the second day. So something clicked with people. Um, so that was nice. <laughs> I, I'm a people pleaser. I like to see and people like my stuff. And so that my coming out was received well until I started talking about not having to change your body. <laughs> like all the, but shouldn't like our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't we like keep them in good condition so that we can wow. be a missionaries and serve people um, mm. other places. And me being like, well, you shouldn't have to change your body to serve God because he's not, he doesn't say like, do justly love mercy and do CrossFit, right? Um, doing, I'm doing justly loving mercy and walking humbly with God in my fat body. And so I guess if he reveals in a dream that I need to start CrossFit, I'll go. But I don't, I think that's something that is left up to Christian freedom. Um, people don't like that, <laughs> especially people who are thin um, and especially people who have been fat and have become thin. Um, and I learned really quickly what thin fragility was. <laughs> the idea of why should you take away my cultural status and privilege because mm. I did the hard work and now I'm thin or I maintain a thin body. Like, no, I want those thin bucks. You can't just say that they don't matter anymore. And then that's when the insults about my intelligence and my laziness started. And so, but that's just kind of par for the course mm. for activists, I think, or prophets or whatever, con contrarians, <laughs> gentle contrarians, perhaps is what I call myself. Yeah, this is, um, um, this is one of those debates that I feel <laughs> a little bit alienated by both sides on. 
you know, because personally, I feel like, you know, on the one hand, like, of course, we should accept people how they are and no one should be shamed for what their body is. Um, but at the same time, we should probably also encourage people to eat right and exercise, you know, <laughs> like uh, those aren't bad things. Um, I guess the, the thing is, what is the definition of eating right and what is appropriate exercise? So and right. that's that's a conversation to have. Yeah. Right. I go back to intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. If God, oh man, I didn't even finish this thought because we started talking about evolution. If God created our bodies, he gave us hunger and fullness cues to follow, like intuition about food. And kids have it, right? We train them out of it. We're like, you have to eat everything on your plate. Like when they're hungry, they eat. When they're Mm -hmm. not hungry, they don't eat. And we impose what Mm -hmm. we think is healthy eating on them. But have you ever just like craved salad (laughs) or I don't know, (laughs) Diet Coke. I mean, like our <laughs> maybe um, the Diet Coke example, maybe not so much, but there are times like when you learn to be mindful and listen to your body, you start to learn that your body is telling you what it's asking for. Hey, I'm feeling like I need some carbohydrates today. Like eat some bread. Um, mm-hmm. Like maybe more than you normally do. If we can relearn the wisdom of our body, then we can actually live quote, healthier, excuse me. And I, I mean health because it health has four components in my view, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And sure. most of the time we're just looking at physical. So mm-hmm. how can I approach food and joyful movement from a four cylindered approach, right? From, from looking at like, it's a four by four and all the, the tires are those aspects of health if I overinflate mm-hmm. the physical one, I can't drive. Like mm-hmm. if I overinflate the spiritual one, I can't drive. They have to be in balance. So right. um, the principles of intuitive eating, there are 10 of them. And one of them is honor your body's hunger and fullness cues. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not just like, hey, go have, you know, eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Feeling good, be damned. Mm-hmm. Like, no, if like I love Juicy's Taco, which is a couple blocks from my office, but it's like what Taco Bell tasted like when we were children, Luke. It's like <laughs> delicious, okay? But, and I, th- so Juicy's Taco, and then it's also Juicy's Burger, which was voted the best burger in Texas, and they're not wrong. Mm. So these are these chains, <laughs> and I can eat Juicy's Burger every day and be fine. Like it doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. If I have a juicy taco, it hurts. And the the nutrition profile on those are not very different. Like protein, mm. grease, and cheese. But my body handles beans differently than it handles beef. And mm. I have learned that. And this, but they're morally neutral, right? Food is morally neutral. Mm-hmm. So I, I I agree with you that um, pursuing health is a good idea. I just question the the definition of health. Right defining health as thinness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And, you know, like I said, I, I mean, last I knew I, my body BMI wise technically qualifies as obese, you know, but which is I, insane to me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> in general, I feel really healthy. I exercise every day, you know, mm-hmm. I fast a couple days a week. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there, there is there, at least in my experience, you know, I'm, 
probably I'm, I'm a lot heavier than I was in high school and college, but I feel a lot healthier. So, right. Well, our bodies are also made know. to change from high school and college. Women are like sure. constantly seeking sure. the pre-adolescent body of a seventh grader, but like that's not <laughs> that's not super healthy. You can't bear children looking like that. Oh, sure. Um, Absolutely. And that's not the like bearing children is not the measure of of health. Let me say that. But there's a a concept called health at every size. It's trademarked by Linda Bacon. And yes, her last name is Bacon. Um, <laughs> she, she has a PhD in physiology and something else. And she teaches at UCLA or Stanford, or some liberal college in California. So <clears throat> I say liberal in a joking matter. Listeners, please don't send hate mail. Um, but the idea is that health at every size says that every person, no matter their size, can pursue health in a way that is good for them. And it looks at reliable indicators of health. Weight on its own is not a reliable indicator of health. However, there are other reliable indicators of health, like blood pressure, blood sugar, heart rate. And those things actually track health, whereas weight Mm -hmm. can go up and down or even stay the same and things being be wrong in your body. So or right in your body. (laughs) Um, And so if we can shift that question, the conversation from weight to health at every size, um, man, we're all in a better place, not like all in a better place, like it's normally used, but um, we're all still alive. Um, we're all at a, a place to have an actual conversation about health rather than a conversation about pounds. All right. So, um, how has your life changed since your belief changed? Oh, so much. As I started talking about the ways that I was treated as a fat woman and people not believing me, I started to understand what my friends of color had been talking about people not believing them. And so I started to see that there was a corollary between thin privilege and white privilege and the ways that I had Mm -hmm. discounted the stories of my friends of color. Um, Surely that person didn't call you the N word in public, you know, just not believing and really feeling chastened of I was wrong. (laughs) Um, And so the, the social justice arc from fat liberation and fat acceptance into racial justice has been something that has opened up since I changed my mind about bodies, which is awesome um, because I still have a lot of racist belief in me that's being rooted out as I continually learn more. And that's okay. I'm still also very biased against fat people. And I say that hmm. to to bring forth the fact that our biases don't really change, but the way that we respond right. to our biases change. And so hmm. when I see my fat body in the mirror, teaching my brain to say, this is a good body, is mm-hmm. it's, it's a teaching a response that actually embodies the gospel as opposed to just living out of my biases. Um, Mm -hmm. My life has changed because um, science is backing up my experience. There are studies that are showing diets don't work and that restriction leads to Mm -hmm. binging and that health at every size Mm -hmm. is a better way of measuring health than pounds. There's that weakness matters to God and to the church. And um, if you're interested in looking at more scientific papers, the website more-love, 
bodies.org is a good place. There's a database there on research about bodies and dieting. So that's been good. I learned I had an eating disorder and you don't want to be put in a box. But when you learn that the way that your brain relates to food is not actually how everybody relates to food, it's not quote normal. There's some freedom there of, okay, let's, let's deal with, let's deal with the disordered way my brain and body respond to food so that I can live in even more freedom than I currently am living in. Yeah. The, um, the intrinsic bias thing is <laughs> certainly one I can relate to, mm. you know, every time, um, every time I hear a man say I'm a stay at home dad, I'm immediately like, Oh, he must be a lazy slob. <laughs> it's like, I'm a stay at home right. dad. Why am I thinking that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, why is it that my brain goes there? I don't know. You know, Cultural conditioning. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. The next question on the list is how evangelistic are you about this belief? I know you're very evangelistic about <laughs> it. Um, I mean, going back to <laughs> to Plato's cave analogy, um, I've clawed my way out of the cave and been on the mountain and seen the sun and <laughs> like going back mm -hmm. and saying, come with me, there's freedom. You've never actually tasted ranch dressing. Okay, that... <laughs> the stuff that you're eating is not ranch dressing that's soybean oil come on um so i <laughs> i'm very evangelistic um but when i took a spiritual gifts inventory back at in junior high evangelism was top of my list so well, i mean it <laughs> it's there and really it's just because i have never known a stranger i'll talk to anyone about anything mm -hmm. So it, it scares my husband, who's very introverted, not not to the point where he doesn't want to like be married to me anymore, obviously, because he enjoyed that when we first met. But he just knows that I have no shame about talking to people. And that's a mm. that's something he's learned. He's grown in accepting about me. <laughs> You're like my four year old then. She's never met a stranger. She didn't want to hug. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basic, that's basically my life. I don't hug people, though, anymore because <laughs> people get threatened by that. I'm trying to read social cues, Luke. Oh yeah, I know that <laughs> feeling. Like I'm, I'm naturally a very huggy person, and I don't think I've hugged anyone in years because I just, I started to realize, oh, people find that creepy, and especially <laughs> yeah. if you're male. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, aside from, uh, aside from your change in beliefs, like what did you learn from the experience of changing your mind? I learned a lot about power dynamics. The power mm -hmm. that I have walking through the world as a white woman is, I wield a lot of power. People listen to me. Um, the power that thin people have, the power that men have. Like I just started to learn that, oh, all people are not actually created equal in the side of our culture. And how can I use the privilege that I do have to advocate for the people who have less privilege than I do, who have more oppression than I do? So mm -hmm. yes, I am fat and that can be seen as a weakness. But I actually think it's, I, I call it fat privilege, because it has put me in a place to see that people on the margins matter. <laughs> and yes, I should have known that because of Jesus, but we're all on a journey. Mm -hmm. So people on the margins matter, fat people, people of color, people with disability, people with chronic illness, refugees, poor, foreigners, they matter. All right, so I have um, three questions that I want to ask all all my guests, just general kind of philosophical questions to try to get at this ongoing project of how do we know truth and how do we know ourselves? So first off, what is 
identity. Does everybody have an identity? Does everybody have a different identity? What's the essence of identity? How do you know your identity? So <clears throat> I don't know if most of your listeners are people of faith, but I'm going to go back to the Bible, rogue Catholic that I am. Um, <laughs> so in Hebrews 11, I believe it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, the, that he exists. What is that talking about? That's that you believe that he is the I am. It's not just like, is there a God? Hmm. But think about where Moses is encountered by the burning bush and God's God reveals God's name. I am the I am. But we, we really read it in a stodgy way, right? God says, I am the great I am. Hmm. But I just hear God saying, I am who I am. I don't have to pretend to be anybody I'm not. And I I believe that that is the identity that God invites me into. And so I can come into any room or any online space and be me, be the Amanda who is. And one, that's an act of faith in, in knowing that God is who he says he is and that he loves me and has put his image on me. But it's also just this place of freedom. Like I'm me and that's enough. And so I, I would say that identity is my unique expression of the image of God, that who God is, he's the I am and who I am that he has made me to be. I'm me. That's my identity. What about human nature? Is there such a thing as human nature? Are we all kind of the same? Are we all born a certain way? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? So I don't know about Lutheran theology. So this may be a good learning experience for me. Um, I'll mention that I'm Catholic again, but just because it's funny at this point. Um, let's talk about original so wait, are, sin. Are you Catholic? or <laughs> How did you know? Original sin and baptism. Okay. So mm -hmm. as Catholics, we believe that every person is born with original sin, but it's not like, it's not like a bent way of walking. Okay. I, I feel like that's what I used to think original sin was like a bent way of having a body or being human. It's like some mud that we've got on our feet. And we also believe that baptism washes away original sin. So when you're baptized, you no longer have the impediments to saying yes to God. Okay, so original sin is that pursuing self first, that self-preservation that we saw Adam and Eve have in the garden of wanting control. So that's washed away in baptism. I got baptized as a teenager and I experienced manifestly like miraculous change in my life. <laughs> and I don't mean like... I was blind and then I could see literally, but just my, the joy I had, like the, the ability to say no to things that were wrong, <laughs> that changed in my life after I got baptized. And that was really one of the major impetuses in me seeking out the Catholic church because I believed there was power in the sacrament. So human nature, I don't think human nature is actually corrupted. I think human nature is that 
original, unmuddied nature. And that is that as humans, we were created to say yes to God. And I see Mary as that new Eve, that she was preserved from original sin. We learn that when the angel says, Mary full of grace or hail full of grace, that, um, and you know, we can get in the weeds about whether Mary was preserved from original sin or what, but the thing is that she didn't, she said yes to God, <laughs> that she was set up mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus, not by her own merits, to say yes to God. And so saying yes to God, that's my destiny as a human. And Mary said yes to God, and now she's the queen of heaven. She got to be, she is the mom of God. <laughs> like, and, and she's a forerunner. And we get to, I get to follow in her footsteps, <clears throat> having my original sin washed away by baptism, saying yes to God like she does. does. I think she's still saying yes to God. So that is what I think is human nature. And I could be completely off. And that's something I'll deal with when, when the facts confront me. So yeah, I was, um, you know, baptized as a mm-hmm. baby. Um, but I definitely have a certain degree of jealousy for people who were able to experience it as an adult. Um, my wife, you know, she was in her 20s when she got baptized and told me she really felt something, you know, some some sort of uh, change or whatever um, mm-hmm. at the time and, and later on. So I definitely um, understand that, even if I can't directly relate to it. Finally, um, what is truth? How do we know truth? Is truth knowable? Where do we find truth? It's a good question. And I'm going to say something that probably sounds cheesy, like it should be on a t-shirt, but truth is a person that I get to know through relationship with God and others. And his name is Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we can't reduce truth to logic or intellect because people with no ability to communicate or to the people that exist in a a vegetable state, I don't know a better way to say that, but they can experience truth because that's who Jesus is. Uh, And so truth is a person and I don't have to be anybody but who I am to get to know who he is. Amanda, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Do you have anything to plug? Website, Twitter? Hey, I've got things to plug. I hate Twitter, so I'm not plugging Twitter. Um, (laughs) I don't understand it. I feel so old. My book is called Lovely, colon, not lovely colon, lovely, lovely colon. <laughs> All colons are good colons. I read that book, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> I, think, I read it for the article. I think you there. wrote it, actually. So <laughs> that was the original working title for Ophelia Alive. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> okay, so lovely. How I learned to embrace the body God gave me. And it was put out by Our Sunday Visitor in 2018. It came out on December 6th, which is the Feast of St. Nicholas, the most popular fat saint in the world. (laughs) So way to go, St. Nick. And you can get it on Amazon or my publisher's website. Just make sure you don't get a a counterfeit copy on Amazon because I'm all that in a bag of chips. And they are are counterfeit versions, I am sure. (laughs) Um. And then my podcast, I co-host with Nicole Morgan, 
It's called Fat and Faithful, and we talk about being fat in a world that is not fat friendly. So I'd love to have you there. Those are my, those are my, oh, okay. Well, if anyone's listening and they're on Instagram, I am at your underscore body underscore is underscore good. (laughs) Okay. So your body is good with underscores in between it. And um, I have a goal to reach 2000 followers. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington, or just go to my website, which is LukeTHarrington.com. I'll see you next time, Internet. guilty pleasures and I'm not sure how guilty of a pleasure this is but I am a little embarrassed of it is um watching YouTube videos about video games um and I'm not uh talking about let's plays like watching people play games like I don't understand the appeal of that at all (laughs) what I like is watching people talk about video games which maybe that's even more embarrassing I don't know anyway one of my uh favorite YouTubers is a guy named Richard I don't know his last name because he doesn't use it on his channel Um, But his channel is called Review Tech USA, um, and it's usually just him sitting in front of a camera talking about news from the gaming world. Um, And Richard is obese. He's a big guy. Um, And every once in a while, you know, he publishes a video that's not about video games. And he published one just a little while ago, I want to say a couple of weeks ago, um, called Being Fat is Not Okay Part 2. Um, and the title was, I mean, it was a little bit jokey, but it, he didn't mean it ironically. Um, his, the video was about, you know, if you're fat, you need to lose weight. And obviously he included himself in that, you know, he wasn't trying to, uh, pretend to be anything other than obese. Um, the thing is that, um, this guy, Richard, he is obese, but he used to be morbidly obese and now he's just regular old obese. He has done a lot of work, um, exercising, eating right. I, you know, I don't know his routine, but he has lost a lot of weight in the last few years. He showed the original video, Being Fat Is Not Okay, part one, which he recorded about three years ago. Um, and he was much, much bigger then. Um, and he talked some about, you know, how back then he just really was not healthy. Um, he, you know, talks about how he had to take like awkward breaths between every word because he just couldn't breathe. Um, and I'm not sharing this to necessarily undermine anything Amanda said, um, because like she said, you know, it is possible to be healthy at any size. Um, and he looks a lot better today than he did three years ago. And I'm very happy for him that he's healthier than he was. Um, you know, almost regardless of whether he lost the weight. Um, but the reason I'm sharing this is um, because of something he said. Um, on this uh, particular uh, YouTube video he posted, he was just kind of going through like a body acceptance checklist um, that someone had posted to Instagram. And he was, quote unquote, refuting it point by point. And again, I'm not bringing this up to necessarily agree or disagree with anything he or Amanda said. But one of the points on the list was learn to eat for joy. Um, And what he said was 
if you are fat like I was fat, you are almost definitely not eating for joy. He said, you know, I used to just go to Olive Garden and get like a, a order of like 20 breadsticks to go and then just sit in front of the TV, dipping them in smart balance and shoving them into my face. Um, and I was not eating for joy, he said. You know, I, I was eating to quiet the screaming in my head, which, you know, is uh, probably an eating disorder um, if I've ever heard one. Um, and, you know, in the defense of whoever posted that body positivity checklist, I, I assume that person was not talking about stuffing your face with an order of 20 Olive Garden breadsticks or however many. Um, I think I assume that person knows that that kind of eating is not eating for joy. Um, but anyway, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up was because it occurs to me that both the uh, diet industry and the food industry really benefit from you hating your body. Um, the diet industry, obviously so. If you don't hate your body, then they stand to make zero dollars off of you. But the food industry is very much the same, right? The more you hate your body, the more you're going to stuff into your face to quiet the screaming, as he puts it. Um, and that's just kind of the reality is that these two industries are the twin heads of that same kind of capitalist dragon. They feed off of each other. You know, the more you hate yourself, the more you give to both of them. And I personally have never had an eating disorder. Um, I am kind of on the big side. Um, last time I weighed myself, I think I technically qualified as obese. Um, but the reason I'm bringing all of this up um, is just to say that since I started fasting regularly, I have felt this tremendous freedom from this food marketing beast. <laughs> I've come to the realization that, you know, I can drive by a Taco Bell without immediately going into this spiral of you're hungry. No, I'm not actually that hungry. We have food at home, but not chalupas. You know, I don't have to be a slave to this marketing machine that's fine-tuned to always make me want something. And that's not necessarily the main purpose of religious fasting, but it seems to be a benefit to one. I was I keep thinking about an interview um, that I heard on NPR. This was maybe about five years ago. So this is a while ago. I don't remember who it was with or what show it was on. Um, but they were interviewing someone who was an atheist um, and was a bit of an activist for, you know, atheist acceptance and that sort of thing. But one thing he said uh, was, you know, atheists and other non-believers have pushed really hard in the last century to banish religious messages from the public square. Um, but now at least some of us are starting to rethink that because when we push religious messages out of the public square, all that does is leave a vacuum. And what almost always fills that vacuum is commercial messages. 
And the thing about um, commercial messages is they are very carefully designed to make you hate yourself, to fill you with anxiety and self-loathing and desperation because people who are filled with anxiety and self-loathing and desperation tend to buy a lot of stuff. Um, and that's not, when I say stuff like this, I'm not saying that everyone who's ever sold a product or made a commercial is like a mustache twirling villain. What I am saying is that people respond to incentives and people looking to sell things are very, very incentivized to create a culture of self-loathing and anxiety. Um, and that's what we see all around us. And we've gotten to the point as a culture where it seems like we don't even know the difference anymore between a religious message and a commercial message. You see that for one trivial example um, in the so-called War on Christmas, where as a Christian, I'm somehow supposed to feel threatened when a store clerk tells me happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, even though I think in some sense, hopefully we all know that if a store clerk is telling me Merry Christmas, he, the only reason he's telling me that is because someone at corporate decided if they tell me that they'll sell me more stuff. In any case, what I've found as I have traveled from less liturgical forms of Christianity to more liturgical forms of Christianity is that the liturgy fills my life in a way that is extremely helpful. Um, when it's mid-December and they're pushing Christmas cookies in my face and trying to get me to buy every toy in the stores, I have something to fall back on that I can say, no, it's the Advent season. It's a season of fasting and charity. And I don't have to eat every Christmas cookie that's shoved in my face. I don't have to buy everything they're selling in the stores because it's a season of self-denial. Um, in capitalism, there is no season of self-denial because self-denial is bad for business. Now, I um, was raised in a branch of Protestant Christianity that more or less rejects traditional Christian liturgy, like, this stuff, Advent, Lent, that's not in the Bible, we're not going to do it. But as I've uh, gotten older, I have personally come to the realization that a liturgy is just a framework, a habit, um, a pattern for living your life. Um, and the reality is that no one lives their life without a framework. Um, and you take that framework away and something is gonna fill that vacuum. And the people who would like to sell you things will be more than happy to fill it for you. Anyway, that is all for this week. I wanna thank Amanda Martinez Beck for being on the show. She was great. Uh, please check out her book, Lovely. How I Learned to Embrace the Body God Gave Me from our Sunday Visitor Press. I want to thank um, Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the show. Uh, please check out their other podcasts, um, Faith and Other Oddities and The Commentarians. If you like the show, please uh, take a second to rate or review it in iTunes. That is a big help to fledgling podcasts. Um, so far, there are two reviews in iTunes, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I'm going to start reading reviews in iTunes just for fun. So here's one from someone named Zonta Sukin. I don't know who that is, but thank you, Zonta Sukin, for reviewing the show. 
He says, the podcast we need. Maybe also the podcast we deserve? I don't know. That distinction never made any sense. Either way, you should listen. This cast is thoughtful, introspective, and genuine. Aw, that's sweet, Zontasukin. Thank you. Um, If you want to kick me a couple of bucks, I do have a book out. It is unrelated to this podcast in every way. It's a psychological thriller. It's called Ophelia Alive. You can find it on Amazon. You can find me at LukeTHarrington.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at LukeTHarrington. Thank you for listening to Change My Mind, and please don't be afraid to change your mind.